This nation is desperately in need of godly men. We need warriors, which is what this whole series is titled. So before we jump into that talk, I want to give, uh, I want to just pray for uh, our, our time together, and I want to pray for the people of Charleston and all who have been impacted by this all over our nation and the world. Father, as we come before you, thank you for a, just a wonderful time of worship through music that we had a moment ago and our students who led us in such an amazing way. And thank you for all that you did this past week and all of their lives and our lives, the adult leaders as well. And Father, uh, our nation is, is grieving today because of the act of one person but, Lord, his one act, Lord, represents, and I believe, the hatred in so many people's lives that continues to divide and, and, and our nation. And, and, Lord, we must continue to move our hearts closer and closer to you, Lord. Um, we must continue to overcome evil with not only good but, but just passionate love. And we must continue to break down the walls that divide us. Father, we are, we are the kingdom of God. We are representation of the kingdom of God, and we must continue to embrace those around us who have different skin colors, who come from different areas of the world, who come from different sides of the tracks. Lord, I pray for healing in our country today. I pray for the people of Charleston, um, especially, Lord, the African-American community there who has been so devastated by what has happened um, for the people of this church, I pray very specifically today for the family members who have lost loved ones in the midst of this horrific, horrific act of evil. And I pray today for healing. I pray that what Satan meant for evil, you will continue to mean for good and that you will use this to bring our nation together closer. May we get serious about this issue that continues to divide us. May, this not, may we not just put a band-aid on this and walk away from this, Lord. We, we must continue to push into this. And there must be repentance. And there must be, Lord, our hearts must be filled with the love of Jesus. And we're truly going to overcome this and be the people that you want us to be. And we thank you for just continuing to call us that way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So... Um, we we're in this series uh, about, on the life of David, and it's called Warrior. And uh, I, I want to give you the definition of warrior. Warrior, a warrior is someone, a man, a woman, a student, a, a young adult, a child, someone who is passionately seeking after the heart of God so that they may be used for his purposes and for his glory. And for the last few weeks, we've been, uh, as I said in the series on David, we've actually covered a, a whole lot of ground. And we've learned so much about this man already just in a few short weeks. And I think this has been a lot, this series has been a lot of fun. Uh, I know we have a lot of guests here today, and so I want to welcome you into this series. Um, one of the most intriguing things that I think that we've talked about already, and I think it's the most, probably the most intriguing thing about the life of David, was this one statement that God made. He said, I, I, the Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. What an incredible thing to be remembered for, for a man, for a woman, for a student, for a child, whatever, for just, to, to, just an awesome thing to say, for God to say about you. I have sought after a man for myself, a man after my own heart. What exactly does that mean? What does it look like? What, what was so attractive about David that it would cause God to say, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. What does, what does uh, a warrior's heart really look like? Well, from the world's perspective, um, one scholar who I read said, if he had a, to name a single Renaissance man in human history, somebody with extraordinary capacities and multiple friends, David would be 
at the top of the list for all humanity. He was uh, a formidable military leader. He, he won a legendary battle against a great champion when he wasn't even old enough to shave. And we're going to look at that story, David and Goliath, next week, by the way. Um, he attracted several great soldiers to serve under him. He dominated the nation's enemies in, in ways that Israel has never seen before. He was a fierce competitor. David would do anything um, to, to protect those that threatened those that he loved, whether it was taking on a bear, a lion, or even a giant, he was going after them. Fierce competitor. He was a statesman. Under David, uh, Israel achieved its highest level of economic well-being and, and, and political stability in its history. His reign is remembered as Israel's version of Camelot. Uh, he was a poet. He wrote the majority of the Psalms, which remain to this day the most moving and influential devotional literature ever written. They are the prayer book of the, for the human race. He was a musician. He wasn't, he wasn't just an average musician. He was so skilled that the, a king, King Saul, would summon David into his presence uh, because his harp playing would wipe out his depression. It would, it would wipe out the, the, the... He was being tormented by an evil spirit, and it would take it away. His, musical, his music was like Prozac to Saul. Uh, he, his harp playing was... Uh, was, was like Eddie Van Halen to the guitar, okay? Uh, that's how he was. He was physically attractive. He, he was Israel's version of Matthew McConaughey and Denzel Washington. Uh, he was rough and rugged. He was a man's man who, could, who was handsome, but he could also play a tender role if needed. He had the poetic soul of Shakespeare. He had the competitive heart of Michael Jordan. He, had, he was the, the musicianship of Pavarotti. He was the statesman of... of of the likes of Lincoln. In many ways, he was the central character uh, of, outside of Jesus of the Old Testament. G- just look at uh, the space in the Bible that was devoted to him. Abraham, who was the father of the nation of Israel, only had 14 chapters devoted to him. Elijah, who, guys, we talked about at camp, he had 10 chapters devoted to his story. David had 66 chapters in Scripture devoted to him. He is mentioned more than 600 times in the Old Testament and 60 times in the New Testament. He is the last character named in Scripture. Revelations chapter 22 verse 16 says, Jesus says, I am the offspring of David, the morning star. To this day, uh, the, the flag that flies over Israel features the star of David. From the world's perspective, he was a remarkable man. And when you look at all of that, you go, what, a, what an incredible resume of accomplishments. But as... Uh, incredible as all of those were, none of them made him great in God's eyes. Not one of those things I just mentioned. God saw something much, much more in David. And what really drew God to him, again, was not his external accomplishments, but from his perspective, and what he says in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, is this. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord commanded him to be the prince over his people. So what was it that just impressed impressed um, David so, or God so much about David's heart. Well, I'm going to give you four things that made David a man after God's own heart. First of all, he just had this reckless abandon to God. He had a reckless abandon to God. In Psalm 9-1, he said, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all of the marvelous things that you have done. Psalm 138, verses 1 and 2, he says, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. He says, before the gods. In other words, I'm not going to be afraid to praise you in front of any other god that's being worshipped, false gods. Lord, I will, I'm praising you alone. I will sing your praise. I will bow, bow down toward your holy temple 
and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness, for you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. David had this unguarded, unbridled passion and heart for God. He never stood in a worship service calculating, you know, being calculated or cautious. David, David didn't hold back when it came to his worship of the Lord. In, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, I love this story, the, the Ark of the Covenant is being brought back into Israel. And the ark, as you know, represented the presence of God. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded, and and a golden jar of manna. And it had been outside of Israel and outside of their presence, a possession for over a 100 years. And so David had taken Jerusalem. He had made it the, the capital of Israel. And now the ark is coming back into Jerusalem to be placed into the tabernacle where it was supposed to be. And again, for the people of Israel, the ark represented the fact that God was present and he was leading them. They were under his hand. And David was so excited about the ark returning home that he began to leap and dance before the Lord with all his might. I mean, this, he was so excited. He was passionate about God's presence. He had this wild, reckless abandon about his worship. He was so excited about the ark coming back to Israel that he begins to leap and dance throughout the palace in what the Bible describes as a linen ephod, which was kind of like a t-shirt thing that covered your body that was, it was kind of like you're dancing around in your underwear, okay? And his wife, Michael... She gets upset at him because she, she, she doesn't feel like his clothes are, are what he should be wearing around the palace. And she begins to try to rein him in. And David says to her, he says, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this if I have to. I'll, I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. Now, I want you to know, I am not much of a leaper and dancer. I don't think that I would ever leap or dance before y'all in my drawers. Trust me. Don't ever hope, count that that's going to happen. Uh, matter of fact, if you were to start running around in here in your underwear, leaping and dancing, you probably would get, you would get tased by one of the sheriffs, um, which would be fun for all of us to see, by the way. Um, but I want to tell you, I love David's reckless abandon for God. You know, one of the things that I love so much about when we go to, 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 to Rush Camp is to see our students just, I mean, they, they are just all out for God. And God, God loved it so much that he actually didn't allow Michael to have another child after she criticized David. So, ladies, I just want to say this to you. If your husband wants to dance before the Lord in his linen ephod, you better let him, Okay. 2 Samuel 24, another really great story. David was commanded to build an altar on a, on a threshing floor of a man named Aruna, the Jebusite. And, and this man saw David and his men coming, and he said to them, he said, listen, I want you to take my threshing floor and take my oxen for a sacrifice, and I will give you also the wood for the fire. It's all free. It's all my gift. And, and David was so passionate about his giving. He was so passionate about the way that he sacrificed to the Lord. He said to, he said to this guy, he says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord, my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Now, if you're trying to save money, that doesn't make much sense. But if it, it's, offered, it's being offered to you for free. You've heard of impulsive buying. David was an impulsive giver. And that's how, how reckless he was in his dedication and love for, the, for God. He said, I'm not going to sacrifice something to God that doesn't personally cost me something. I don't know about you, but I want to have a heart like this. I don't want to go 
to my grave knowing that my heart was cold and calculating and protected and safe and hard. And I don't think you want to go to your grave with a heart like that either. So he had this reckless abandon with God. He also had this deep communion with God. This was a typical David statement found in Psalm. Psalm chapter 139, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So on one hand, you've got this wild, reckless guy who's abandoned to God. And then on the other hand, you've got this deep, passionate you know, man who wants to go deeper and deeper with God. You say, where did that deep communion come from? I think it was formed in all of those years where he was alone out in the fields tending a sheep. And that's the only explanation for a man who could write words like this. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, we talked about this last week. David spent most of his time waiting. And, and we talked about this last week. I talked about the time that Samuel anointed him to be king. And the next day, he had to go back into the field to be a shepherd. I mean, on one hand, one day, oil's dripping down his face. He's being anointed as king. And then all of a sudden, the next day, he's right back out on the, shield, out on the field with the sheep. You say, how could he do that? Imagine that you've been anointed king and the only thing you can do now is to run and tell a bunch of sheep. But it was out in the field that David had learned to to go deep with God. He learned to have a deep communion with God. He was able to handle all of the problems in his life and all of of the waiting. And I I mentioned to you this, this past week that last that David, from the time that he was anointed to the time that Saul died and he was actually king, was about a 15, 20-year period. And a lot, most of that time, he spent running from Saul, who was trying to kill him. But it was in those moments, in the field, and in the times that he spent running and hiding in caves from Saul, that God was shaping, after, God was shaping a heart after his own. He was molding a deep heart. How many of us could say that, 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 that we love to sit in quiet and solitude and have a genuine deep communion with God? Probably not very many of us. Why? Because it's just hard to sit still. There's all this craziness going on around us all the time. We have telephones ringing, cell phones going off, you know, instant messaging popping up everywhere, emails po- constantly you know, vibrating our, our pocket through our cell phone, you know, knocks on the door. I mean, that's our lives. I mean, one of the reasons why I love Surge Camp, one of the reasons why I love Rush Camp so much is because it allows us to get our kids away so that they can just calm down be, you know, just get away from all of the busyness and the craziness and the, and the hectic parts of their lives so that they can just go deeper in their time with God. They can have still moments in front of him. And all of us need that. Think about just the threats that we face all the time to, to our communion with God. Things like, like impatience or just noise or busyness or complacency. You think about David's life for a moment. When was David most vulnerable to sin? After he had reached the top as king and everything and everybody around him, I mean, we're we're just bowing down and worshiping him, like serving him. I think David got so bombarded with the noise and the busyness of being king that his heart towards God grew complacent. And I believe that's why he had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. He just, his deep communion kind of got 
pushed to the side. Listen, the only thing that will keep us in deep communion with God and protect us from falling away and falling into sin and our hearts growing cold is the discipline of getting alone with God and spending quiet time in his presence. In other words, we have to turn off the TV, the ringer on the phone, shut down the internet, the email, shut off our social media sites, and just spend time in his presence letting him feed and refuel our soul. I love what David writes in the very first psalm. He says, how blessed is, is the man, the godly man, the godly woman, the godly students. The godly student, he said in verse 3, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves neither wither, and they prosper in all they do. You cannot be. You cannot be like a tree that's rooted down deep into God and growing and producing spiritual fruit when you're always hurried and rushing here and there and you never spend quiet time and just be in moments where you're just still before God. It's just not going to happen. Busyness produces shallowness and even complacency. You will get out all of your relationship with God that you put into it. And God, God wants to do in your life what he did in David's Life. He wants to shepherd your heart. He wants to just spend time with you. He wants to spend time alone with you, going deep. Just think about that for a moment. God wants to spend personal quality time with you, developing and shepherding your heart. And then the third thing, genuine humility. After David had defeated Goliath, King Saul offers his oldest daughter, Michael, to David to be his wife. He wants David to be his son-in-law. Look at David's response in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 18. He says, who am I that, and what is my family in Israel that I should be king, uh, the king's son-in-law? And David exclaimed, my father's family is nothing. And Paul, Saul persisted. He sent one of his servants to tell David that he wanted him to be his son-in-law. And look at David's response in verse 23. When, the, when Saul's men said these things to David, he replied, how can a poor man from a humble family afford the, pri- the bride price for the daughter of a king? Now, this is a guy who's already been anointed king. And the king who's still on the throne is offering his oldest daughter to him to be his wife. And he's going, what did, what, what, what did I do to deserve any of this? That's genuine humility. That's one of the reasons God loved David's heart so much. It's one of the reasons that God was drawn to David. And then the fourth thing, and I love this, is just stubborn love. In Psalm chapter 78, verse 72, it says, And David shepherded them, talking about sheep, with integrity, with a true heart, with skillful hands he led them. The idea here is that David had an undivided heart. It's the opposite of fickle. If you were loved by David, it was a done deal. There was no waffling. There was no wondering whether David loved you or not. I mean, when it came to love, David was all in. He loved his sheep. He loved his enemies. He loved his friends. He loved his children, even though they hurt him deeply. His heart towards God was undivided. Think about the people for a moment in David's life. Just think for a moment about Saul. The king who he sat in his presence and played the harp. The king who tried to kill him. Here he is one day. He's this promising young king himself who becomes increasingly corrupt. He is tormented by an evil spirit. And out of that, this rage develops. He becomes just incredibly jealous of David. And he's just, he's constantly trying to deceive David. Several times he tries to kill him. And amazingly through all of it, David still loves him. Twice, David could have killed Saul. And he would have been justified, but he refused to do it. 
Because he was loyal, he was loyal till Saul to the very end because he believed with his heart that he was God's anointed. And he expressed his loyalty back to Saul in love. When Saul finally died, David wrote one of the most beautiful poems ever written to mourn for him. He wrote the words, how the mighty have fallen. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Some of you probably have heard that line before. That's where this comes from, from Scripture, from, from, from the words of David. He says, oh, how the mighty have fallen in battle. Oh, daughters of Israel, weep for Saul. How could David find tears for a man that constantly was trying to kill him? Listen, he knew all of Saul's faults better than anybody, and he knew about Saul's possibilities, and he loved him to the bitter end. Think about his friend David for a moment, or excuse me, Jonathan. Jonathan was Saul's son. He would have been David's main rival for the throne. Jonathan knew that David had been anointed to be the next king. And you would expect that they would have been at each other's throats. I mean, Jonathan was the next man in line. They had, they had one of the greatest friendships in all of history. And when they had to be separated, the Bible says they wept together. They wept, but David wept the most. You think about his son Absalom for a moment. Absalom, oh my goodness, his own son, the renegade rebel, later in David's life, Absalom tried to overthrow David and take his throne. And in the very end, Absalom was defeated and he was killed in battle. And David got word that his own forces had been victorious and his throne was secure and that he would live, you know, and he would reign. And and his only response was to mourn for his boy. And he said this, oh, Absalom, my son, If only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. I mean, that's incredible love right there. When David loved you, you stayed loved because there was grace and love in his heart, even for the worst of people. Wouldn't you like to love like that? I know I would like to love like that. But probably the most stubborn part of David's love was just his dedication and love for God. Listen to these words in Psalm 23, 6. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. I will live in the house of the Lord forever. I believe that David was an old man when he wrote those words. He may have had a long, flowing gray beard and a wrinkled face. I, I, I believe he was thinking deeply about his life at that moment. He may have been thinking about his future, certainly thinking, just thinking back to, about his past, all the twists and turns of his life, certainly after he became king, and even before that, of all the running and hiding in caves. And, and I think the stubborn love that he had for God just caused him to say, Lord, I will dwell in the house forever. I will dwell in your house forever. He didn't say, I hope that I will dwell in your house forever. He didn't say, I I hope that I, 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 maybe I'll dwell in your house forever. And he's talking about just being in the presence of the Lord, just being in his presence constantly. He was a stubborn guy. He said, I'm staying in the house, staying in your presence. And God, I know that when you see me, I make mess, messes sometimes of the house. I spill on the rug. I knock down the lamps. I, I break some expensive stuff. I know what it is for, to have me, you know, in the house. I, I'm a pain to you at times, but I will tell you this. You're going to have to drag me out of here kicking and screaming because I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm not leaving my father. He just had this good time to clap. He just had this stubborn love, and most of all, at the very depth of his stubbornness was his love for God. Wouldn't it be incredible if God could look at this church this morning and said, this right here 
is a people after my own heart. This right here, they followed me with reckless abandon. They, they worshiped me with the depths of their heart in deep communion. They had genuine humility. They loved me with a stubborn love. I would love for God to be able to look down at all of us, at any of us, and say, this is a church after my own heart. I wonder, guys, on Father's Day, and ladies, same thing, students, children, what could be said about your heart this morning? Now, before we give David too much credit here and we, you know, start worshiping him, I want to remind you of a few few things. This is a guy who had a lot of issues. He was a human. And this was a guy who really struggled in life. He, He had an affair with another man's wife. He ended up murdering her husband. He had tremendous issues with his kids. He struggled with discouragement, struggled with depression. But in spite of all of that, God saw him as a man after his own heart, and he used him in a mighty way for his, just his, his purposes and his glory. He, and he was truly a warrior. But you think about that for a moment, reckless abandon towards God, deep, commun- deep communion with God, genuine humility, and even, even, even stubborn love. How do you pull all of that out? Who is the only person that could ever do that without sin? Those phrases actually describe Jesus. Reckless abandon to his father, deep communion with his father, genuine humility, even though he was human, but he was still God, and, and just stubborn, stubborn love so much to the point that he would, would, would go to the cross for us rather than walk away and be king. I want you to know you've been loved by a stubborn love. David was empowered to live the way he lived, to be a man after God's own heart, because of his relationship with God. It was clear. Jesus was empowered by his Father and the Holy Spirit to be able to do what he did as a human here on this earth. You say, how in the world can I have a reckless abandon for God, deep communion with God, a genuine humility? I mean, stubborn love, the kind that truly breaks down evil and, and breaks through, and I'm able to love my enemies and love people who are trying to kill me or saying bad things about me? Only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Only through a relationship with a Father who loves you. I want us to bow our head for just a moment, if I could. I know we have a lot of guests here this morning. It's so great to have all of you here on Father's Day. Thank you for being here. Each night at Rush Camp, and I know at Surge Camp as well, we would have a moment just like this. We would allow our students to think about their lives, to examine their hearts. And I want to ask you to do the same. If you're finding yourself here sitting in this auditorium this morning and you're realizing, you know what, what's missing out of my life more than anything is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, a personal relationship with the God of the universe. I want to give you an opportunity right now to make that right, to have that relationship. Heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. If you're here today, you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You've never confessed with your lips that he's the son of God. You've never trusted him alone to be your personal savior. I want to give you that chance right now. Just say, Lord, at this moment, 
I want you to know that because of my sin, I'm separated from you. And Father, I need forgiveness of my sin. I repent of it. And I put all of my trust and all of my faith in you alone. Father, at this moment, would you be the savior of my life? Would you make things right between me and God? Father, thank you for providing for me a sacrifice to pay for the sins of my life, the sins of the world. And right now, by faith, I receive Jesus into my life, into my heart. 